Let that be our prayer this night, Lord. We want to just sing praises to you forever. We want to lift up your holy name. We want to look to you for our help and our hope. So tonight, Lord, we ask you to guide us through your word. Teach us by your spirit. We pray, Lord, for this nation. We pray for our families, for this country of ours, for those who are sick and suffering. And we pray, Lord, for the salvation of souls. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, it's uh, graduation day in Exodus chapter 3 for Moses. He's got to have his burning bush moment with the Lord. And we're going to find that he is a very reluctant servant of God there in the beginning. And so this, in a sense, should give us a little bit of hope. So I don't know if everyone has surrendered to the Lord quickly, perfectly, without any complaints, any questions. Uh, definitely we find Moses had a few questions for the Lord. Even when the Lord would give him answers and show him signs, he still ultimately said, send someone else. But God wasn't going to give up on him so easily, and nor does the Lord give up on us. And I'm so thankful for that. So let's go ahead and get into our study. We're looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4 tonight. And we're going to begin here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the burning bush. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. At this point, Moses is 80 years old. He had been roaming around this desert for the last 40 years, serving his father-in-law Jethro. And while herding his father-in-law's sheep, Moses came to, as Scripture describes it, the back of the desert, there to the mountain of God. And he saw this bush that was burning. And as he saw the burning bush, he also realized that the bush itself was not being consumed. For Moses, as I said, this was graduation day. It was time for the Lord to call him to the ministry that he had always planned for him from before the day of his birth. And there on the mountain where the bush burned, that mountain being as described to us, Horeb, the mountain of God, this is where Moses would return and receive from the Lord the Ten Commandments. It was also where God would instruct him to strike the rock that the children of Israel would receive water the first time he would strike that rock. It tells us in Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that my people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. At that time, God had not only provided Israel water of which they thirst for, 
There was also a beautiful typology of Jesus Christ where Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that that rock that followed them around in the wilderness, that rock was Christ who had been smitten by God in order that the living water of the Holy Spirit might pour forth from his life into our hearts. So Horeb, it may not have been a very significant place for Moses up to this point, but it would become a significant place for Moses and the children of Israel from this time forward. But Horeb was also the place where the children of Israel would forsake the Lord to worship a golden calf. And by doing so, according to Romans 1, and verse 24, they changed the glory of God into the image of the corruptible man, like birds or four-footed animals, creeping things. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served a creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And this was because in Psalm 106, 21 and 22, the psalmist tells us that they had forgotten God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. So we will hear of Horeb, the mountain of God, further along as we get into the accounts of the Exodus here in the book of Exodus. But right now Moses is there on the mountain. He looked upon the bush. He noticed that it was, although it was burning, it was not being consumed. The Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord was presiding in the flames itself. And this amazing sight, Moses seeing this, decided to take a closer look, not understanding exactly what his eyes at that moment were actually gazing upon. Stephen spoke of this in Acts 7, verses 30 and 31, where he said, And when 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, he heard the voice of the Lord come to him. We must realize that God will use both the natural and the supernatural, whichever he deems necessary to get our attention. For some of us, it could be simply the natural processes in this life that will draw us to Christ. For others, God might have to combine the natural and the supernatural to get our attention. Among the many things that God used in my life, my burning bush moment came in the reading of a single verse of Scripture. In fact, it's not even the whole verse. When one Sunday morning my eyes fell upon Romans 10:14, the portion of the verse that asked this question, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And at the moment of reading that verse that I'd already previously underlined in my Bible, I knew for the first time God was asking me to preach his word. He was calling me to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can all have those moments in our lives. It may not be a physical burning bush, or God could do so again. But God often will use both natural and supernatural circumstances. Again, whatever he deems necessary to get our attention, to draw us into his will. So as Moses went to 
take a closer look at this amazing thing that he had seen. It tells us as he drew near, in verses 4 through 6, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And God said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We notice the angel of the Lord stood in the midst of the fiery, burning bush. The angel of the Lord, often called a Christophany in the Old Testament, which talks about a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus was there calling out to Moses telling him to take off his shoes because he stood on holy ground. And what made that ground holy was the presence of the Lord. But also he reminded him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I think this is important that the Lord using the history of the Israeli people at that point. And remember Moses, he had been, although born into the house of Levi, he had very shortly after that been adopted and raised as a prince in Egypt. And 40 years later, then fled from Egypt, spent the last 40 years in the wilderness. And we'll learn in chapter four that he didn't even follow the commandments of God up to that point and the commandments of God were not very many at this time upon the children of Israel and yet God still reminded him who he was and to whom he belonged that he was part of the children of Abraham and that God himself was the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob it reminded us on Sunday that we each have a distinct role to fulfill in the kingdom of God. And the important thing is our surrender to the Lord. The important thing, as I said on Sunday, every Christian should learn the words of Mary there in Luke 1.38, who said, be, let it be unto me according to your words. She began by saying, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your words. For Moses, and like many of us, it took him a while to surrender to God's will upon his life, as we shall see. And so it was, verses 7 through 8, as God continues, he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry and because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So once again, the word that God had given to Abraham that had been passed on to Isaac 
and that was passed on from Isaac to Jacob and then from Jacob to his 12 sons and ultimately to Moses himself. The Lord is reminding him to whom he belonged that I am the Lord. I love this. He said, I have surely seen, I have heard their cry, I know their sorrow, I have come down to deliver them and bring them up. God had a plan. And it was time for him to enact that plan for the children of Israel. God laid out his plan of redemption that the children of Israel would not only be brought out of the land of Egypt, but brought into the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham many years before in Genesis 15:18 through 21. Genesis 15:18 through 21, on the same day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land, and from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershites, and the Jebusites. Too many sites for me. But God promised this very land to Abraham in that same setting. He told Abraham that his descendants would be in a foreign land for 400 years. And after the 400 years, they would be brought up back to this land that the Lord would make them a great nation there. And now was the time. In verse 9 and 10, we continue. The word of God tells us, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring up my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I think maybe up to this point, Moses was just clicking along with the Lord saying, this is great. You're going to do all this for the children of Israel. I can't wait until they come out. But then verse 10, that come now, therefore, I'm going to send you. So wait, what? You're sending me? I'm the one that has to go down. Remember, Lord, I tried that 40 years earlier. It didn't work out so well to me. That's why I spent the last 40 years here in the wilderness. And so perhaps it didn't surprise Moses that God would deliver Israel from their bondage because God had promised Abraham that he would do so and confirm that promise to Isaac and to Jacob. And Jacob confirmed that promise to his 12 sons. What surprised Moses was that the Lord was going to use him as an instrument of his deliverance. And so it was. Verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go up to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. God speaking now. I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I love that because I don't know if that sign that he gave to Moses was too reassuring at that point. The sign was once you go down to Egypt, 
deal with Pharaoh, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, get back here to Horeb. And when you see the children of Israel worshiping God on the mountain of Horeb, that's your sign. Go get the job done, get them back over here, and then you'll know that I sent you. It's like, Lord, can't you give me a different sign than that? I mean, that's like a lot of work between here and there and back again. But that was the sign. This let Moses know. Also, he said, I will certainly be with you. Moses was not going to go it alone. Being the servant of the Most High God. Sometimes we feel the Lord speak to us put a call upon our heart. And sometimes we feel like the answer to that call might be a distance away. I described it like this a few times in my own call, in my own life. When I read that verse of scripture from Romans ten fourteen, and how shall they hear without a preacher? I've described it this way a few times. And this was only years later that I was able to kind of put all this together for my own life is that that Sunday morning when the Lord gave me that verse, applied it to my own heart, and that same Sunday morning when I surrendered to the ministry there at a church in Libertyville, it was as if God showed me the course, the path of my life on a very distant mountain. I said last week it was 11 years from the time of the call until I became the pastor of this church, 11 years would go by. So I was able to see 11 years out, the destination. But what I could not see at that moment was all the valleys and the hills and the struggles that would be from here to there. Yet the Lord commissions us. He also promises, just like God promised Moses, I will certainly be with you. When the Lord commissioned us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, saying, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. When God calls, he doesn't set us out on our own. He goes with us. Lo, I'm with you always. And I love God's response to Moses. That sign would be the accomplishment of Israel's deliverance. God was calling Moses to take a long journey, a journey of faith that would take Moses from Horeb to Egypt and back again to Horeb. But Moses, we discover, needed a little more convincing. And this is often true for many of us when the Lord calls us to serve him. In John 21, 18 and 19, when the Lord spoke about John, Peter kind of wondering what his role would be in ministry. The Lord responded to Peter saying, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you walked where you wished, And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And John makes commentary of this saying, he spoke this signifying what death Peter would glorify God when he had spoken this 
he said to Peter, follow me. That's quite a call. Hey, Peter. Yeah, Lord. You know when you're young, where you used to just go fishing whenever you wanted to? Go down to the Sea of Galilee, have fun with your friends, and do whatever you want? Yeah, that was, that was great, Lord. I love those days. Yeah, well, when you're older, you're going to be led where you do not want to go. You're going to stretch out your hands, signifying his death upon the cross. And yet the Lord still said to Peter, follow me. And amazingly, Peter followed. Yet we learn historically that when he died, he did not want to die as his Lord. So he asked that his cross be put in the ground upside down. And that follow me, it speaks about a life of surrender. And Jesus is still calling those to follow him. In verses 13 and 14, we continue on in Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So he asked the name. What is his name? And this is the name of God here. It's not the common Yahweh, the YHWH that we're familiar with. That is either pronounced for us Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the Lord saying, I am that I am. A statement of declaration of just divine control of all things. I like how G. Campbell Morgan put this when he said, the name reveals the fact that God's ability to become to his people whatever their need demanded. I am that I am. And we also know that the Lord Jesus picked up on this when he ministered upon this earth with the two Greek words, ego and me, when Jesus said it most assuredly in John 8:58, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, ego and me. Jesus, with those words, equated himself to Yahweh, to God the Father, to this very passage of Scripture in Exodus 3.14. So much so in John chapter 8, it tells us when the Jews heard this, they picked up stones to stone him because he equated himself with God. They understood what Jesus meant when he said those words. So after his calling, God gave Moses the message that he would speak to Israel. And God normally does that. He doesn't send us out without words to speak, without a work to do, uh, without a ministry. It may take time to learn, to grow, to develop, but God promises to go with us. And so he explains to Moses, we pick up in verse 15 through 17, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And this 
is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. So we closed out last week in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And Moses recounting this was told us there, Exodus 2, 23 through 25, he said, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel. God acknowledged Israel. So the children of Israel had been crying out for their deliverance, and according to Stephen, they rejected their deliverer the first time. Now Moses is going to come back a second time. And God had Moses to remind the children of Israel, just as God reminded Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and I'm going to send you to Egypt. Now Moses is to remind the children of Israel that God has sent me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, saying, surely I have visited you. I've seen what is done to you. I will bring you up out of the affliction of, of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey. And through Moses, God not only reminded Israel of their heritage, but also of his promises. It is why the word of God is so important to the church today, that we would rehearse the promises of God, that we would have a knowledge of our history here in the United States. There is an attempt right now to erase history. All around us, they are attempting to erase history that they can create a new people. But here we find that the children of Israel had been in bondage for 400, over 430 years before they're delivered. As we will see, as we go through the book of Exodus, they've been in bondage for well over 400 years. And what does God do? Immediately he reminds them to whom they belong. I am the God of your father. Your father's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And God also let Moses know here that it was not going to be an easy work that he was sending him to. In verses 18 through 20, we continue reading. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews have met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. 
So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. So God let Moses know it's not going to be easy. Moses may have felt that God was calling him to go it alone, but he had already promised, I will be with you. I will certainly be with you. But to reinforce this calling, he would wind initially, we know, as we continue in this study, we'll learn that Moses and Aaron will initially win the hearts of Israel. When things start going poorly for them, he would lose a little bit of that. But he would never have the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened toward the children of Israel, and he would only harden it further. In fact, God said, there'll be a point to where I will harden his heart. And yet, even though God said, verses 21 and 22, the end of our chapter, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you will not leave empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now God had promised Abraham again in Genesis 15:13 and 14, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. For 40 years, Moses had learned the wisdom of Egypt. But it would take more than the world's wisdom for Moses to be the deliverer that Israel needed. Therefore, God enrolled Moses in the Midian Desert Institute for another 40 years. He learned the ways of a shepherd. And in each stage of Moses' life, there is a progression of faith, which was first exemplified by his family when they discovered that God had blessed them with a beautiful child. They hid him away. They saved his life by placing him in the Nile. And finally, we discover that Moses would become not only a miracle worker, but a deliverer, a lawgiver, a prophet. Moses, one of the greatest leaders of the people of Israel. And yet he would have never become that great leader if he had not surrendered to the will of God. And that is something that we all need to do. Come to that place of surrendering. It may not be, I'm pretty convinced that I'll be no great leader within the church of Jesus Christ, but I am one of the leaders within the church of Jesus Christ. I'm serving the place where the Lord has placed me, serving in the place where the Lord has put me. And as I said earlier, from the time the Lord called me from Romans 10:14, how shall they hear without a preacher until I was ordained at this church? 11 years of my life would go by. 
And yet, the important thing is to be going forward with the call that the Lord has given you, pursuing that call, pursuing the faith that the Lord has placed in your heart. And as you pursue, as you follow Jesus Christ, he'll begin to unveil, to reveal further information, further knowledge of the plan that he has for your life. It could be that God right now has you enrolled in your own type of Midian Desert Institute. It could be that he's working his plan out in your life to save people alive. That sounds all well and good. And if we would close off here tonight, we think, man, Moses, you have it made. But Moses is still not convinced. He is a reluctant messenger, as we'll learn in chapter 4. To become a good leader, it can be frightening to contemplate, uh, especially when you might feel ill-equipped for the role. When speaking about being a godly leader, History testifies that God equips those whom he calls, and moreover, the Lord will bring others alongside to help fulfill the call of God in their lives. And feeling ill-equipped is where Moses finds himself right now here in chapter 4. In verse 1 we read, Then Moses answered the Lord and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And though Moses would grow to be one of Israel's greatest leaders, initially he responds to God by making excuses. First, Moses assumes wrongfully that they won't listen, that Israel will refuse, saying that they won't listen to me, they won't believe me. They will say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And this may be understanding, considering that they had already rejected him once. Remember Acts 7.35, Stephen talking about this. He says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge, is the one that God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel that appeared to him in the bush. So Moses had already been rejected once. And 40 years is a long time to think about being rejected. 40 years of wondering, what if? I know nobody could ever think about those what if thoughts, right? You've never had any of that go on in your life. Well, hopefully not for 40 years, but Moses, it was. 40 years earlier, Moses had attempted to deliver Israel by his own strength and not God's. And like the Lord would speak to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, 6, saying, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And to counter his concern, God gave Moses three signs to demonstrate to Moses God's own call upon his life, but also three signs that Moses could use before the children of Israel and before Pharaoh. Well, the first sign is found in verses 2 through 5. It gave Moses the ability to take his staff, turn it into a serpent, and then back into his staff again. We read, So the Lord said to him, Exodus 4, 2, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. 
So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it up, and it became a rod in his hand. I might not know much about snake handling, and, and I would do horrible in the hill countries of Kentucky where they actually try to do these things. But I do know that you don't try to pick up a snake by grabbing it by the tail. All it's going to do is turn around and bite you. So it took faith for Moses to even reach out in obedience to the Lord. And we'll talk more about this sign when Moses and Aaron use it before the Pharaoh in chapter 7. But this sign teaches us that sometimes we must be willing to do the impractical. Lord, Moses could have said to God, I know that's not the way you catch a snake. You don't grab a snake by the tail. But sometimes we have to do the impractical. We have to be obedient to the Lord's word to us, even though it's beyond reason from our perspective, in order that God's power will work in our behalf. Second sign, verses 6 through 8. God gave Moses the ability to cause his hand to become leprous and then whole again. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Exodus 4, 6, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, it became, Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. I bet Moses put it back in quick. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and he drew it out. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So this is leprosy, Hansen's disease, as it's known today. And even to this day, there is no known cure that can control leprosy by medications today. And in the Bible, and Moses would actually, God would use Moses to write these laws concerning leprosy. But when we combine what we'll study later on in Scripture, especially in Leviticus about this, when someone had leprosy, they were isolated. This is going to sound too familiar to us right now. When someone had leprosy, they were isolated from social contact by dwelling outside of the camp or the city walls. They were to wear mourning clothes. <laughs> you know what I wanted to say. They were to wear mourning clothes, tear their clothes, have their hair in disarray. If a man, his beard was to be kept covered, there's your mask. They had to cover his beard at all times. Leopards were also to cry, unclean, unclean, when near other people. That way people would know to avoid them for fear of defiling themselves or catching the disease. I told you this sounds way too familiar right now. To summarize, people who had leprosy were unclean. They live outside the city walls. They were known as the untouchables. But know this, Jesus was and is willing to touch the untouchables. In Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3, a leopard came out to worship Jesus. 
saying to the Lord, Matthew 8, verse 2, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, we know Jesus had the power just to say so, be clean. And this man would have been cleansed of his leprosy. But the word specifically tells us in Matthew 8, 3, that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I love that. Saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. To this day, Jesus is willing to touch the untouchable. The untouchables, I should say. Sometimes we need to be willing to call out to Jesus that we might be made whole. So the third sign, verse 9, very short, one verse. But God gave Moses the ability to turn water into blood, and it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice. So the word of your testimony, the two signs that I've given you, uh, the rod turning into a snake back into a rod again, the leprosy, you, you know, watch this, guys. That was the, right? Stick it in the bosom, bring it out again. That's interesting. Um, we never read of Moses ever repeating the leprosy trick. I'm not saying it's a trick, but you know what I mean, is that God gave him this ability, told him to do this, and we never read of him ever doing it again. kind of wonder if that one was personal. What if I put, pull my hand out and it's leprous and I put it back in and it doesn't work? I don't know if I want to do this one, Lord. Yet the turning of water into blood, and we're going to read about this in Exodus 7 again. We'll talk more about it then would be the first of the ten plagues that God would bring upon the children of Israel. And perhaps this was the first because the Nile River represented life to Egypt. And yet, like the woman at the well, the Egyptians neglected the true source of life. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, 13 and 14, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give them will never thirst. But the water that I shall give them will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Oh, how we need to drink that water that comes from Jesus Christ. The water of everlasting life. Yeah, Moses isn't done yet. The reluctant leader has more excuses for the Lord. Again, I'm sure that you guys could never relate to any of this. The Lord has spoken to your heart. You've always obeyed immediately without questioning. Yes, sir, Lord, what would you have me do? But not Moses and not me as well. Verses 10 through 12, then Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. Back when I was Egypt, or the last 40 years here in the wilderness, it probably had only gotten worse, right? Have you ever known anybody like move to a southern state? I had a friend uh, that I grew up with. I think it was 15 years old. He moved to Mississippi. And I said, before you know it, you're going to be sounding like someone from Mississippi. And sure enough, a year later, came back to visit, and he sounded like he belonged in Mississippi and no longer in northern Illinois. 
I said, you sound like you're from Mississippi. I do not. Yeah, you do. You just proved it right there. So he said, neither before nor since you have spoken your word to your servant, but I am slow of speech. I am slow of tongue. This really seems to go against Stephen's description in Acts 7.22. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in words and deed. You know, years ago I thought about that because it always seemed to like counter opposite of what Moses tells the Lord here in chapter 4, verse 10. If he is mighty in words and deed, why would he say that he's not eloquent, that he slowed his speech. Well, when you have authority behind you, it really doesn't matter how well you speak. If you have authority, then you're mighty in word and deed. You may not be eloquent, but you have authority and people have to listen. But although physical ability can be useful to the Lord, it can never replace the spiritual when doing the work of God. It doesn't matter. I mean... Truly, to this day, Exodus 4.10 could describe me as well. And although we can train ourselves and improve ourselves, physical ability, it is useful, but it can never replace the Spirit's work in our lives. So it was, verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. So here he lists out. Now, some might accuse the Lord, why would God give people disabilities? We know that it was because of the fall. God is the creator of all things. But because of the fall... Sin entered into the world and these things just come upon us. But God can use our inabilities, our disabilities to bring glory to his name. He was going to speak the word of the Lord before the Pharaoh. And what was important that God was going to feed him the words to say. It's something that Paul prayed or asked the church of Ephesus to pray for him saying Ephesians 6:19 pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly and make the mystery of the gospel known Paul asked others to pray for him that I would be bold that I can make the mystery of the gospel known to other people in other words Paul was asking others pray that God would put his words in my mouth Now, clearly, Moses is running out of excuses. And so he does what so many tend to do when God calls them in their life. Send someone else. Verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Anybody else, but not me. And although this angered the Lord... He did not take Moses' no for an answer and told him that he would send then his older brother Aaron to be his spokesman before the people. 
And so let's go ahead and read this, verses 14 through 17. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? And I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you should do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do signs. This is almost comedic to me as I think about it. So Moses, God's still going to send him, but now he gives him his older brother, Aaron, to be his mouthpiece. And so whenever, you know, the Ten Commandments movie has it all wrong, because every time Moses and Aaron would appear before the Pharaoh, it would be Aaron talking to Moses, Moses whispering to Aaron, this is what you say. And then Aaron would turn around and speak the words that he would say to him. He would become the mouthpiece for Moses. Moses would be as God to Aaron in the sense that Aaron would only speak the words that God would feed to Moses, that Moses in turn would give to Aaron. It would be like me as your pastor. I'll use Kevin, our assistant, for an example, that I write the sermons and say, here you go, Kevin. Here's your text for this week. And I stand over at the side. Okay. It would be odd. We wouldn't be familiar with it. It could work if it had to. But here Moses is running out of excuses. And God's not going to give up on him. Moses then would receive God's word and relay it to Aaron and that he would speak it before the people and even speak before Pharaoh and God caused Moses to take his staff, that that staff then would become his instrument, the instrument of his sign. God can use anything. What's that you got in your hand, Moses? A rod, a staff? Oh, that's going to be the sign, the instrument of my sign before the people. The word tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God uses chooses the foolish things in the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And God desired for Moses to be the instrument of his deliverance, but his unwillingness to wholeheartedly answer the call of God caused Moses to share his gifts with his brothers. But also God had promised, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll give you the words. When I first started preaching and uh, at the church I surrendered to the ministry I keep repeating it Romans ten fourteen. how shall they hear without a preacher I went forward that Sunday morning the Lord gave me that scripture on that Sunday morning in Sunday school class adult Sunday school class I went forward after church that Sunday and said the Lord's called me to preach they quickly got the licensing order licensed me in the ministry. I mean, it happened fast. And the preacher said, oh, by the way, I'm out of town next week. You want to preach for me next Sunday night? Okay, that's a good notice. Got a whole week. 
And then I studied for the week, and the Lord changed my message that Sunday afternoon. God is wonderful. Never our ways, never by our plans. But the Lord promised, and the point I want to make, when I first started preaching, I used to pray this prayer over the messages often, that Matthew 10, 19, and 20, and when they deliver you up, and sometimes I felt like I'd been delivered up when I stood in the pulpit, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should say. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And how I desire God's spirit to use me, especially when I'm in the pulpit, but even when I'm outside the pulpit. You never know the words that you speak that might change the heart of someone else. The important thing is that we will be willing to answer God's call upon our life, whatever that call might be, no matter the difficulties that we might face, that we would experience the power of God working in and through our lives. And just think about this. I didn't write this in my notes, but I've thought about it a bit this afternoon. How much did Moses and Aaron even know one another? Moses had been gone for 40 years. Did Aaron go on uh, Midian vacation every once in a while and go visit his brother? Could he leave? Apparently he left this time. Moses was only in the household of his parents for maybe three years. And that could have been the relationship that they had with one another. They might have seen one another. But yet God would use these brothers in a mighty way. So it was, verses 18 through 20, So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead who sought your life. So there was just confirmation from the Lord to Moses. Nobody's seeking your life right now, so go. Verse 20, then Moses took his wife and his sons, set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand, that common shepherd's tool. This rod represented the power of God he would carry with him. He not only took his family, but most importantly, he took the weapon that he would need, the spiritual weapon, the rod of God. And so the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. So this tells us that Moses had to turn his hand into leprosy, although we never read about it in the Bible. But the Lord said, make sure you do all these. What was the three things? The rod into a snake, back into a rod again. The hand into the bosom, leprous, back into the bosom healed, clean, and water into blood. Make sure you do these things. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel, my son, my firstborn, verse 23. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. 
But if he refuses to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So even before going down to speak to Pharaoh, God let Moses know that it's not going to be easy. He's not going to listen to you. In fact, Pharaoh's hardened heart would only get harder. And we'll look at this as we go through uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. We read about it some nine times uh, as we go through the Exodus, that sometimes God hardened Pharaoh's heart, sometimes Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Ultimately, we know that Pharaoh's heart was hardened to the point, like Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 2, saying that their own conscience being seared like with a hot iron, it was hardened to that point of no return. And as a result of that, God would take his firstborn son. And yet God's still working with Moses. In verses 24 through 26, it tells us, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment, the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. What? I thought Moses was the deliverer, the savior of Israel. Well, he sought to kill him, and Zephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskins of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. And so he let him go, and then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. It doesn't sound like a nice pet name that you give to your husband, but I don't know. If you were raised up in Midian, it might be different. Here's the thing. Obedience was important. God had placed a call on Moses' life, but Moses had not obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And at that time, all they had was a sign of circumcision. And he had not had his sons circumcised. And so for Moses to be the deliverer of Israel, he needed to be walking in fellowship with God in the commands of of the Lord, and at that point, this is the covenant that I make with my people, the sign of circumcision. God said to Abraham, on the eighth day, all male child shall be circumcised. Samuel said to King Saul, when he disobeyed the Lord, his response, 1 Samuel 15:22, has the Lord great delight in birth burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of the lambs. King Saul had burned a lot of offerings to the Lord and said, look, we burned all these offerings, but you were disobedient, King Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice, to heed. And so we close out with a joyous reunion Verses 27 through 31, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went. He met him on the mountain of God. He kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered the, together all the elders of the children of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the sign in the sight of the people. And the people believed when they had heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction. 
Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. They believed. They saw the signs. They heard the words. They believed that God had come. They bowed their heads and worshipped. I love that. Although there was only one Moses, God has a plan for each of our lives. He has a role for each of us to play in his divine plan. And that call that God has placed upon our hearts, it's obedience that the Lord seeks, a surrendering to his will to walk in his ways that we might see him do great things through our lives. Lord, let that be our prayer this evening. Father, we live in troubling times. And yet, none of the things that we are going through currently in our country, conditions throughout the whole world, nothing is a surprise to you. Lord Jesus, you still have a plan for your church. And we here, Lord, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are part of that church. So, Father, I pray that we would be surrendered to your call upon our lives. Perhaps, Lord, we are somewhere in the process. You've placed a call upon our heart, but we haven't quite arrived yet. I pray, Lord, that we have forward momentum, that we're walking in faith in such a way that we can see the power of God working in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with physical abilities, but we, may we never neglect the need of the Spirit of God working in and through our lives. Lord, may it be said of us, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. May that be our heart's cry this evening, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's go ahead and stand. This coming Sunday, uh, we're going to continue our journey through the Gospels. And uh, I titled this coming message, this Sunday's message, That We Should Be Saved. That We Should Be Saved. We'll be looking at the remainder of Luke chapter 1 and a portion of Matthew chapter 1 as well. Also, for those perhaps watching through social media, maybe you're listening through WLGS tonight and you have questions regarding faith or you need prayer, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. If you'd like information about our church, you can find us at cclv.org, www.cclv.org. And uh, that's about it. Look forward to being with you guys again as the Lord leads us from this place. May we be a blessing to all those around us. Pray that God will bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.